Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. When Joe Biden enters office, he'll face an ascendant China that is competing with the U.S. and 5G, social media dominance, and much more. At the same time, he'll have to deal with allies who have been alienated by the trade policy of the previous administration. There'll be a lot of challenges for the Biden administration to contend with. And at the center of these challenges is a question. How much should America continue President Trump's combative approach to trade policy against China, as well as with the rest of the world? I'll be discussing this question today with Claude Barfield. Claude is a resident scholar at AEI, where he studies international trade and technology policy. He is also a former consultant to the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative. Claude, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Do you expect that over the next four years, we will see a fundamentally and substantially different approach to U.S. trade policy than over the past four years? Uh, yes, I do. Um, though I think there's going to be uh, there'll be things that uh, while the Biden administration doesn't want to say now uh, that will carry over. I, I do think that no matter how much I oppose a number of the things that the Trump the Trump uh, and Robert Lighthouse, the U.S. trade representative did, I think they did in some ways ch- change trade policy in a way that I don't think we'll, we'll go back to anytime soon. I think certainly uh, one of the biggest changes, I think, with Biden, uh, and it will be tested uh, with some of our allies right away, is that his, uh, he's going to move away from America first uh, to uh, an attempt to, where possible, to uh, actually work with our allies, whether we're talking about reforming the WTO or China or uh, other, other trade uh, uh, problems that, uh, that have come up. And so I think there, that will be that will be the same. Um, I think he's going, however, in terms of China and just trade policy for the moment, not the larger strategic stuff. I think he's going to move very carefully there. Uh, I mean, he has said, for instance, that he is not going to initially take off the tariffs uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that Trump instituted. He's going to use them as leverage. Uh, and so I think they're going to be feeling their way uh, in terms of China. So do you think that the approach toward China will look a lot more Trump-like than the approach to trade toward our allies, Canada, Europe, where the president was pretty combative? Um, is it, is it going to be more back to normal when dealing with allies, while it'll seem more Trumpian when dealing with China? I think that's a very good way of putting it. And uh, I think the, that that raises the issue that I don't think, um, and it's something uh, I've written about, I don't think with China you you can actually take trade policy. This is true maybe with any country, uh, but certainly with China, you cannot separate a trade policy from technology policy and security policy. As I say, it's true to some degree with all countries, but particularly true with China, which is uh, not only a competitor, but a potential foe. Uh, I think you will find with uh, with Europe, with Canada, uh, with other uh, uh, allies, and let's say in in Asia, 
uh, I think there will be an, an attempt to, uh, to to move away, as I say, to repeat myself, from the America First, to get in to try to unite with them where possible. Um, I think with China, um, I think you may ha you will have you, undoubtedly they will try to they being the Biden people will try to make some contrast, but they're going to be very careful there. Uh, I think because that any any trade. For instance, you could say that dealing with Huawei to some degree is a trade issue of the use of trade escort controls, but that has major strategic and um, and security implications. So I think they're going to be very careful there. On the other hand, I think they're going to try, I think, uh, from the beginning, and we can talk more about that with, let's say, Europe as an example, uh, to uh, to try to have a more amicable relationship. Um what is the current state of the of the China tariffs? Uh, maybe we can review that for for listeners. We had the phase one trade deal. Has the phase phase one trade deal been phased in, or does anything still have to happen there? Well, the China, the the phase one was basically I'm oversimplifying was basically a, a managed trade deal where the Chinese agreed to buy the, through state control to enterprises actually uh, to, to buy more um, U.S. goods. There was some changes that they promised in terms of intellectual property rules internal to China, uh, but basically that was an agricultural uh, deal. The tariffs that 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 uh, the hundreds of billions of tariffs that uh, Trump put on are still in place, and I think that's where I think uh, the President Biden will move very carefully. Um, I I think in terms of of, of other countries. Uh, particularly those countries where we put tariffs on invoking uh, national security, uh, he will try as soon as possible, I think, to remove those tariffs with, with countries who are allies in Europe or around, or around Asia. The steel and, and aluminum tariffs, which we've instituted on a national security basis across the board, um, are going to be a problem for him. I think, as far as I'm concerned, he should go ahead and remove them. But he has to be very careful, uh, I think, politically, because they are they go to companies that uh, uh, are in the Middle West or in places that uh, the tr that Trump's support is very strong. So, you know, looking ahead politically, um, even before you get to another presidential election, he's going to have to be very careful about that. Hopefully, they will. Uh, I think remove them. Uh, I would hope within the first year, but we don't know. Well, it's it sounds like the the, the phase one trade deal is fairly precarious at this point. Well, it depends. I mean, the China the Chinese are not living up to uh, uh, what they promised in terms of buying agricultural products, but they are buying more agricultural products. Uh, so it could be it could be that they you know if depending on what what Biden does, it could be that they will say no, we're going to cancel it. As far as I'm concerned, you know, the phase one deal is not a big deal. <laughs> I'm glad for our farmers, but it's it's from a from a trade policy point of view, this is straight managed trade. And so it's bound to it, it is it has created it's great for us, but it's created friction with some of our allies. I mean, when you when you agree to buy more wheat from the United States um, or soybeans, uh, you're probably not going to buy as much from, let's say, Argentina or Brazil or other countries that produce it. So there are some of our allies who have not been happy about the way that was done. And so the sooner we can get away from that, the better as far as I'm concerned. And it could be that it becomes 
depending it, it'll it's always dependent on us china relations as they develop under biden i mean they could always use that they being the chinese could always use it and say well you know we're going to stop doing this in, entirely i think i don't think they would stop buying all agriculture because a lot of this stuff they need actually so um i mean you think pork they've had a problem with, with swine flu over there and soybeans are, are a key agricultural product that is not easily uh, substituted from others. So, right. you know, that that's going to be just a part of larger negotiations and larger relations that we develop or uh, that do develop under under Biden. The Trump trade war was confusing because the president talked about it as though he was just trying to stop the U.S. from being treated unfairly and to arrive at a better trading arrangement with China. But there were other people on the right who saw it as a strategic maneuver to hamstring China in a new Cold War. So with that, how does the Biden administration view trade with China? Do they believe in this new Cold War theory? Well, I don't know. You know, I don't, I'm not really comfortable with labels. I, I do think that you have to separate, uh, and I think the Biden, they've already signaled this, I think, that you'll have to separate our relations, trade relations as well as other diplomatic and security relations with China from our trade policy with the rest of the world. And I think um, one of the things that if you go back in the Trump administration, forget about, I know this is hard to do, forget about the last, let's say, six or eight months in the Trump administration where it got all, particularly with the president, but also with Pompeo, the Secretary of State Pompeo and others, got all mixed up in the election and their attempt to label the, the Democrats as soft on China. Which is ironic because one of the, and this this will carry through. This is important for the Biden administration. One of the things that you have to keep in mind is that Chuck Schumer and the Democrats in, in uh, Senator Schumer and the Democrats in in the, in the Senate as well as the House criticized the Trump administration for the last three or three years, at, at least three years, uh, for being too soft on China. That he had not actually done what he said he was going to do about being tough on China. So the Democrats are going to come in. This is one of the things to keep in mind. There's a bipartisan support, I think, in Congress, Democrats and Republicans, for being tough on China. But let's just put that aside for the moment and go back. I think the Trump administration, and here let me even go back to 2016. I think no matter who won the election of 2016, the United States was headed for some sort of, if not conflict, at least confrontation with the uh, I'm being a cliche here, the, the state-directed mercantilist market that, that China has set up versus the economy. It is now the second largest economy in the world. You just can't, um, you can't live with, the, the rest of the world can't live with that kind of internal protection as well as internal subsidy uh, and the, the effect it has on world trade. So if Hillary Clinton would have actually had some sort of policy that changed from the Obama administration. With the Trump administration, I think actually, they in the first year they started off pretty well. One of the things that I've always go back to is that the so-called Section 301, which is the unfair trade practices section of U.S. General Trade Law report that came out uh, a year into the uh, Trump administration, uh, it was headed by USTR, was put together by USTR, but a number of other agencies. Uh, participated was an excellent report. It's one of the few things in the Trump administration and trade that you can actually believe. They had chapter and verse. It was very well done about the kinds of things that the that the that China was doing um, that were to quote unfair or uh, or changing trade policy to the rest toward the rest of the world. 
and it was it was a very good it was it basically aimed at at the structural change in china whether you're talking about subsidies or you're talking about closed technology sectors you're talking about the the great firewall which really is the, is a form of industrial policy because it kept us companies and european and japanese companies out while their companies were were allowed to grow it it had, was chapter and verse i think now one could argue that is that the Chinese are never going to change, but that was a good that was a uh, at least a good laying out from a trade policy point of view, of of what of, of what our grievance our not just our grievances but all other members of the WTO. Beyond that, then you get to the f- fact that Trump was always erratic. I mean, you got all then you get into all the kind of stupidities and willful ignorance of the president himself. I mean, he cared more about the. the the tri- a bilateral trade deficit, which was foolish. He cared more about showing that ex- imports or exports to China would grow, which is how you got finally later, three, a couple of years later, to the so-called phase one, which is basically about, our, as I said, agricultural products. So the administration, having laid down a predicate for an excellent set of policies, then did not follow through always because Trump himself was back and forth, and he had all this business, as you know, since he personalizes everything or personalized and does still everything was his relationship with Xi Jinping. And so it was, it was kind of back and forth until you got to 2020 or late 2019, 2020, when it became very much a part of their political strategy. And then they went back to some of the things that they had actually started to talk about. Uh, And of course, to be fair, the administration always said that the phase one was be followed by a phase two, but it was clear from several years ago that you were that the way things were moving, phase two would come in a second Trump administration or in the next administration, whoever was president. I cannot believe, by the way, in that sense, they won't call it that. But I certainly would be uh, it would be unfortunate if the Biden administration did not go back on in forget about the other stuff, the military question, strategic and the strategic question to go back to the. Um, Section 301 reports structural uh, analysis and calls for change in China. And I think the uh, President Biden will do that. Well, you, you mentioned a 301 report that was sort of the this, this predicate that outlines sort of the case about Chinese practices. So then what what might the Biden administration do or you can or we can put it this way. What what is that case? What kind of action does that case call for from the United States, in your view? Well, I think I think what Biden is going to I would hope they would do in terms of of uh, China is they've talked about this uh, and to to uh, first try to rally allies and other members of the WTO. Now I, we can come back to this, but I I am a new skeptical. Pacific trade deal. Is that what that is or? Well, I, you know, we, I, I don't, I, I don't think it would be a new. I don't. We can talk about that. I, I'm, I, I would certainly be in favor of the United States getting back into the Trans-Pacific Partnership, but there are a number. There are problems with it in terms of the domestic policy in the United States. Uh, the president is not going to have trade promotion authority, authority to, to, uh, to negotiate new deals after the summer, and he has said that he, um, he doesn't want to deal with trade right away. So that means things will be possibly put off. And the, the, the question is, what sort of, de- what, for, let's take it from the American side first, 
and whether it's with a new transatlantic partnership or with new agreements, bilateral or regional agreements with other countries and other regions, what are we going to demand? And there are parts, I think, of the U.S.-Mexico, the new U.S.-Mexico-Canada, the USMCA, which I think is going to be tough to negotiate with other countries. So it's going to be, from our point of view, the politics of, of trade internally have changed dramatically and very much so. Uh, if you have a, uh, you're certainly going to have a Democratic president, and he's got he's not going to be able to go beyond some of the things that his interest groups are demanding: labor and the environment, uh, climate change, that sort of thing. And so we're not going to even if the the president wanted to go back into the change his mind and wanted to go back uh, into the uh, Pan Pacific, we're not going to waltz back into there. They have gone on in, into that agreement. They have gone on on their own. Uh, to put together an agreement without the United States. And we cannot just sort of walk in and demand and think that they will just bow to us uh, on new demands. So there's that problem. So, so there are things that currently in that deal that would be problematic. There's things that are not in that deal more is the better way to put it, yeah. I think. Yeah. There's, we're going to want more on labor. We're going to want more on climate change. We're going to more on environmental things. Uh, and uh, more on the digital, uh, that might not be so much of a problem. Um, but the, I think one of the things I've, I keep in the back of my mind, aged age as I am, is that to some degree, though I think a lot of things have changed, this mirrors 2009 when Obama came in office. He was in the middle of a, of a tremendous economic crisis around the world. He also had a divided party on trade, and he had run his the most anti-trade candidate that won until that time and did not certainly want to deal with trade policy. But within a year, he had turned around and moved in, moved to uh, the Obama administration had thrown, excuse me, the Bush administration had thrown a kind of a dart forward, the, the, the beginnings of the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And by the end of 2009, Obama had turned around largely, I think, because of what was happening with China, what was happening with North Korea. And, you know, Hillary Clinton was running around all over the world saying that we're back in Asia. Now, it could very well be that Trump will, excuse me, that Biden will decide that he has to move up his trade agenda sometime in the, in the, before he's planning on doing it. But we'll just have to see how that works out. Certainly, the degree to which China, uh, uh, Xi Jinping, um, moves aggressively uh, over the next six months, let's say, or you have greater problems with North Korea, you have all kinds of things happening where our allies are saying, look, we need some leadership out here. It could be that they will change, uh, but but they're not certainly planning to have a large trade agenda in the first year, they being the Biden people. Do you know what happened with the New York Stock Exchange and the, uh, and the, and the delisting and then non-delisting of these Chinese companies? Uh, before our interview, I was on Twitter, and that seemed to be a popular question they wanted me to ask. Right. Well, you know, this is an extension. This gets back. I mean, I'll, I'll get to the delisting and uh, the potential delisting. I, I think the New York Stock Exchange has changed its mind on some Chinese companies I read in the last day or two. At any rate. Seems very strange. Seems to, kind of back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Th this gets back to in the, the context of it is how far do we want to go in decoupling and how much do you do you root your decoupling almost wholly 
in the strategic and security reasons. I mean, I think um, I wrote about this that, you know, I could see, one can see that Huawei, for instance, the giant, the Chinese telecom communications giant, uh, is really, uh, if Huawei to, were to have the, the base equipment for 5G around the world, that, that is really a security issue. And I think the United States is correct, this administration, I think the Biden administration will, will I, would I hope, and I'm sure they will, continue this. That, that, is, um, that, is, that is clearly an instance where we're, we're, we're taking a, what was an economic, and that is the export controls, for instance, on semiconductors for, for Huawei in, in terms of 5G. Uh, and stopping that, but then you get to to questions that are that it, where it gets tougher. For instance, we're also stopping the semiconductors for Huawei in terms of its phones, and th that is you could make a stretch for that for national security, but it's kind of tough. Or we're saying, and here again, you start with the national security that we are going against Chinese companies that have helped the Chinese Navy in the South China Sea maneuvers. Uh, and then you get farther than that, you get to uh, Chinese companies that have that have helped uh, the PLA. Now, you know, when you think about that, Chinese companies that have helped the PLA, think of this: if, if this, another country had said to us, "Well, we're going to we're going to ban or, or going to go against all U.S. companies that have somehow been involved with the DoD," that's a lot of companies, essentially. Not that they're all military. These this is not military companies necessarily, but it, the, the the any any defense department has got all kinds of things that it needs. The delisting is partly, I think, um, grounded in the uh, fact that you cannot get you you cannot get information from a number from almost all uh, Chinese companies in in terms of your uh, in terms of finding out what's actually going on. The 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 Chinese have always said that this is a national security issue, and they they won't let them they won't let them um, they won't let them give this information to the stock exchanges. And you've had in the last couple of years a couple of uh, some fairly sizable instances where that has been a real problem because you 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 had a, a Chinese company which really kind of, it didn't go belly up, it just got in in real trouble, and you couldn't tell uh, what what before then what had happened. So. You're getting the question of, of whether or not you should delist de them if you don't if they don't give that information. Now things get even stickier, I think. You haven't raised this, but the fact that most of what we've done so far with Chinese companies has to do with uh, export controls and CFIUS, that is the the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, that is controlling them, controlling the fact whether or not a Chinese company can buy. Uh, control of a U.S. company, but where the Trump administration has gone in the last few months is also stopping U.S. investors from investing in certain Chinese companies and certainly Chinese sectors, and that is really that, that's an extraordinary change that people haven't paid much attention to um, when the when the committee or the so-called CFIUS process was amended last year. Um, that was a big, or a year and a half ago. That was a big fight, uh, or it was it's it it was thought about to be a big fight, and it didn't happen. That is, you did not have the Congress move to chop outward investment, but the Trump administration has done this really through executive action, and it's going to be interesting. And, and that I would say is the farthest reach, or one of the farthest reaches, of of uh, United States move against moves against Chinese companies. 
And while it has some tie back to national security, uh, it is also closer to somehow trying to stop the Chinese uh, from growing and to you know seeking their own ec economic destiny. So those is those frontier, if you does will. You, but does is, Europe see any of it this way? I mean, Europe. Europe no, I don't think China so. sent a big investment deal. No, and one of the problems we face, by the way, there is a kind of secondary boycott, if you will. Whereas we're telling, if you take semiconductors, we're telling companies around the world, not just in Europe, but other places, you know, you cannot send something from Europe or from, let's say, Japan to to China. Um, they extended this when they first put in the, the export control in terms of semiconductors. They were doing only factories here in the United States, but some of our companies have factories in other places. And there was a kind of leak, which the Commerce Department uh, has, has, has now tried to staunch or stop. So th these issues, which are extraterritorial issues, uh, are going to be major issues, I think, that the administration will face. And I think the Europeans are going to be a place where you're really going to have uh, <laughs> discussions, to say the least. <laughs> During the primary, it sounded like Democrats, including Biden, supported the idea of a liberal democratic capitalist alliance against China mercantilism. But it doesn't seem like Europe is entirely on board with this approach to trade policy. Am I wrong here? No, I don't think I think I think what the Democrats were saying and they're still saying and the Biden people are saying, though, that we can come back to what the, the Europeans just did in terms of the new Chinese investment treaty. What they were saying was that we need to. We need to go, we need to be strong. But Biden said it this way. He said, I'm going to be tough on China, but I'm going to be tough on China when we do it with a united front of our, our lives. And of course, this is a, a political point, but it was also a substantive one that was true, that the, the, the trouble with the, Biden, with the Trump administration was it had tried, it not only had tried to do this alone and didn't consult with others and just went on its own way, but at the same time, it was antagonizing our lives with these uh, trumped up, if you will, tariffs based on these are our allies based on national security issues. So that is the way they, they, they have come into it. I think it's still early. I just wrote, as you probably know, a, a piece about the, the China EU investment agreement. And I think uh, certainly the, the Europeans uh, signal there. Um, I think foolishly. I think it came from uh, it came from one. It came from very selfishly, and it came from also very. I think very much as we will look back, as Merkel as part of this is Merkel's sort of late revenge, if you will. I don't think she meant it as revenge, but she wanted to put one of the you know tie another victory to the wall in her last months, and her and then this is China's uh, excuse me, uh, Germany's last uh, month or last days actually is heading the European Council, and so. They they really did. Uh, the, the Chinese made very few concessions, some concessions, I'll admit, in terms of opening slight opening of markets. Uh, but the, it was the Europeans who were ready to, to move ahead. And I think that signaled a divided uh, uh, mind in Europe. On the other side, uh, and I think that you have to keep in mind that, you know, the, China is, you know, the number one or two trading partner for a number of of these countries in Europe. On the other side, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. There certainly has been in Europe, and you know, it won't, it'll be Merkel's, Merkel's successor who will have to deal with this, but for the, the leaders of all the countries, there certainly has been a, a real reaction uh, over the last year to Xi, Jinping, Xi Jinping's heedless 
move toward more authoritarian and really uh, kind of fiat diplomacy. Look at what they, they, he did or is doing with Australia. Um, look at what has happened uh, just in terms, uh, and there's a, there is a strong human rights movement in Europe. Uh, and you've had some reaction. I'll come back to that in terms of the, the investment agreement. But look at, you know, we, the Europeans have been moved to some degree by what's happened in Hong Kong. It's not just the Brits, even though they were directly on the line, or what's happening in Xinjiang province. Um, and the, the clamp down, the move of the state, not just in terms of its economic power, but in terms of its political power against its own citizens. And so you are, you are getting a sense in Europe that I don't think you had before, a year ago, a year and a half, two years ago, uh, that this is a strategic as well as a security issue. And it is, I mean, I think there are leaders in Europe that have responded and will respond to the idea of democratic allies. Uh, it'll be interesting to see some of this stuff is just, you know, campaign stuff. But, you know, uh, Biden has called for a summit of the democracy sometime in his first year for six months or so. And one can dismiss that as, you know, kind of window dressing. But I think there is that effect that is in Europe. And we will have to see, just in terms of that investment agreement, there were, you can, I suppose you might say, small minded political stuff. There was a lot of resentment among smaller countries, uh, the Dutch, Poles, the, the, and Spain, mid sized countries, that, that Merkel and Macron. Um, Emmanuel Macron just just pushed this through at the end, and you know that could come back to haunt him. The other thing is that there has been substantial reaction uh, among human rights and also members of groups and members of the European Parliament um, that this is the worst time. There, there is a scathing piece in today's Financial Times by Gideon Rockman about about the the, invest, the the agreement and what it says about the alliance. I mean, you just could not. Uh, and particularly, you could you could not have a better example of of the tro the problem that, that Biden is going to face, and particularly since it was the Europeans who several weeks ago published a statement that saying, you know, we've got to get together, uh, urging the United States to move away from the Trump uh, the new the new administration to move away from the Trump America first, and let us be allies together, naming China as a strategic competitor. So that's a kind of mixed bag, I think. Now we don't we don't know. And to be, uh, I think one thing so far, even though it was a direct snub, since the Biden administration had signaled had had actually asked that the signing of the agreement be put off until they get they had a chance to get in office, uh, and it was a direct snub to them. I think the Biden administration or the incoming Biden administration, if you will, has reacted circumspectly so far. And, and sensibly, uh, you know, they have not you, they have not popped off, even though you've had some Europeans pop pop off already, in in a kind of defiance. Yeah, this is something we should have done, uh, and we're going we want an independent uh, we want an independent course. So we'll just have to see how that all works out. Let me let me finish with this. Uh, what do we expect on the trade front between the United States and uh, Brexit Britain? Well, again, it, it's it's going to be it, not to get technical, but it's going to get caught up in the. I mean, the, um, the if they can get it, they can get it done. Uh, President's authority uh, lapses in the middle of the year. Uh, you know, I would say, I'm just guessing here, a fifty-fifty chance 
Um, there are a lot of things that the, that the Brits are prepared to do. The one thing that um, I think I haven't really gone back to look at um, is the whole questions of, of the whole set of questions related to regulatory authority and regulatory principles, uh, whether you're talking about the environment or food safety. Uh, certainly, uh, the reports of what Johnson, Boris Johnson, had to give at the end uh, seemed to indicate that he'd given up a lot in terms of following European. Uh, Sort of European regulations, uh, and the, uh, with the alternative being that they would go, that they would come after him in terms of some sort of trade actions if he didn't. The degree to which Britain puts into law or in practice the, the whole panoply of Euro, a number of European regulations that are different from ours is going to make it more difficult for the. Uh, the Brits to, or for the United States, uh, or for the Biden administration to agree to it because the Congress probably wouldn't agree to it. Now, I have seen in the last day or two on the other side of that, that I think the British trade minister has said that the, uh, and this is directly aimed at the Democrats in the Congress, that the, the Brits would be willing to, I think he said, discuss or certainly negotiate along the lines of the USMCA, the US-Mexico-Canada new agreement, uh, on labor and the environment, so that's going to be a, you know, that's, I, I don't, I can't predict how that, uh, how that will work out. Most people would probably be negative, but I think that is think that it doesn't have a, but you know, it, it could very well, it could, they could very well work it out. My guest today has been Claude Barfield. Claude, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. 